Well, millions upon millions of Euro Cup fans are probably nursing a hangover today after the game that saw England go up against Italy and come up short. We'll talk about the actual game coming up, but what was happening outside Wembley Stadium, also a very hot topic. Just huge numbers of unruly crowds before and after the game, and just a torrent of racist abuse heaped upon the players of colour who missed the net during penalty kicks. So how is England this morning? Joining us now is our Global News European correspondent, Redmond Shannon. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Cindy. I'd imagine there's quite the cleanup going on today. Yeah, clean up uh, amongst many other things, um, cleaning up physically uh, the streets of London, parts of London, Leicester Square were an absolute mess. And uh, around Wembley Stadium, I was there uh, in the hours before kickoff yesterday. It was thronged, which was an unusual setting, an unusual scene. Um, still seems a bit weird when you see so many people in the same place together, but um Wembley Stadium, although it was two thirds full yesterday, that's still 60,000 people. And an awful lot of the people who were there, as you mentioned, were people who didn't have tickets. And uh, there was uh, uh, some unsavory scenes and people might have seen video already of of, uh, quote unquote fans rushing the gates, trying to get in without tickets. Many of them did get access to the stadium, did sit in seats of other people and security at the stadium spent time during the game trying to eject these people so it it was pretty unruly but somewhat predictable given that people were there maybe as early as eight hours before kickoff drinking and uh it got a bit out of hand as uh, as kickoff approached yeah i saw all of those videos that you were talking about there and just the the violence too like people fighting just because they could people climbing on top of the portable washrooms outside of wembley and then scaling the wall like are there any repercussions for all that redmond or is it just oh well it was you know the heat of the game kind of thing uh, well, it depends on what the actions of the uh, people were. So if there's criminal damage involved, police will be uh, looking for those people. There were arrests. Dozens of people were arrested in London yesterday. So it depends on the actions. Of course, there were so many people there um, having, uh, let's just, uh, we, shall we say, a little too much fun. Um, it becomes difficult for police to prioritize, but uh, there were pe- there were arrests made. Yeah, let's talk about the loss there and what happened kind of online after. Even a lot of people have weighed in on this, including the manager, Gareth Southgate. Yeah, the uh, three English players who missed their penalties in the shootout um, were all players of colour. And uh, Jaden Sancho, uh, Bukayo Saka, who's just 19 years old, and Marcus Rashford. Uh, all those players were targeted by racist abuse in the minutes, in the hours after the results, uh, some absolutely sickening stuff. Uh, I, I saw some of it online and then I sort of tuned out. You you, you know what's coming. Um, and when you see it, it's still shocking. Uh, the condemnation obviously coming from all quarters this morning. Gareth Southgate, the coach, calling it unforgivable. Prince William, who is president of the Football Association, said he's sickened by it and that uh, those involved should be held accountable. And Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, tweeting this morning, this England team deserves to be lauded as heroes, not racially abused on social media. Um, The issue being that uh, race has been uh, a theme throughout this tournament, despite England's success uh, from the first game onwards, uh, the English players uh, who 
uh, a number of them are players of color. They all together in the moments before every kickoff uh, took a knee for uh, uh, racial equality. That movement started by Colin Kaepernick um, has made its way across the Atlantic. However, uh, a, a large minority or significant minority of England fans were booing their own players when they took that action. And Prime Minister Boris Johnson, when asked about that earlier in the tournament, refused to condemn the booing. And uh, that has led to many people, including former players and opposition politicians, saying today that Prime Minister Boris Johnson is a hypocrite, um, condemning the racist abuse on one hand, but then refusing to boo refusing to condemn the booing of take of the taking of a knee. Um, so it's complicated mm. and it's it's uh, it's divisive and it all comes out when um, England uh, loses in this sort of circumstance. You see some ugly sides of of uh, society, shall we say. Right. But this is also the most successful English team that they have had in decades. It, it is, you know, they made the semi-final of the World Cup three years ago in Russia, and they've made the final of Euros for the first time ever. Um, and we're basically a kick of a ball away from winning the whole thing. And you wouldn't have seen any of this racist abuse or most of it had the ball gone inside a post instead of outside a post and a penalty kick. And now people decide to take it out on players as young as 19 years old. That's crazy. For the color of their skin. It's just... It really is uh, um, an, an ongoing issue that uh, English soccer has dealt with for decades. It's and it rears its head now and then, and comes to a head, even when the team has done better than it's done for decades. And yet, in the UK, things are a little bit different. Redmond, maybe you can explain this for us because police say they are investigating this. So, how do how do they do that? And can they actually uh, lay charges in regards to the abuse that these players get? Yes, charges can be laid and there are instances of people being uh, convicted um, under uh, laws that um, uh, uh, target this type of abuse against uh, people who are uh, religious or uh, uh, sexual minority or uh, sexual orientation or racial orientation. Uh, um, These type uh, of uh, targetings can be prosecuted if the people can be identified, of course. In many cases, uh, social media allows anonymity and it can be difficult, although not impossible, to identify these people. So it remains to be seen if people will be um, uh, identified, prosecuted and convicted for uh, these these tweets and these Instagram posts. Right. And on a final note here, you mentioned that Wembley was two thirds full, but it sure looked like there are no more restrictions in regards to COVID-19 in the UK. But that's not the case, is it? There are still some restrictions, so it was two thirds full based on on the the ongoing restrictions here and and uh, venues, uh, certain types of venues like uh, like nightclubs and uh, people where people are in close quarters. There are still some restrictions that we expect Prime Minister Boris Johnson to make an announcement today that uh, on this day next week all restrictions will be lifted. That's quite controversial. A lot of scientists say some are still needed. Mask wearing won't be necessarily compulsory, even on public transit. It's already, I can tell you anecdotally, Simi, it's dropped off tremendously. Um, Mm. um, When you get on the tube, the underground uh, train here, you see a lot of people not wearing masks already because the message is already out there that these uh, measures are going to be dropped. We'll find out later today what that will involve and when it's going to happen. But we expect it uh, uh, next Monday for all restrictions to be dropped. All right, Redmond, thank you so much for that this morning.
Thanks, Amy. Bye. Bye. That's Redmond Shannon, our global news European correspondent, talking about the aftermath of the Euro Cup final yesterday. And of course, here at home, we saw a lot of that too, right? It was packed on commercial drive yesterday, as you may expect, with people celebrating Italy's win. And I'm telling you, it was a lot of people and I didn't see a lot of masks being worn either. Which kind of begs the question, with watching all these sporting events, are we ready for that here in BC? Are you ready to go to an arena or a sporting event, take that mask off and get in there with a whole crowd of people like that? Would you be ready to do that this summer, do you think? A lot of drama, both on and off the pitch for the Euro Cup 2020 final yesterday. The good news is... World Cup, now only a year away for fans out there. But let's talk about the actual game as Italy won in a shootout. That's the first time Italy has won Euro Cup since 1968. And they were doing it in front of a very English crowd at Wembley Stadium. And remember, we're asking you about this as well, like seeing those crowds, all these events, these sporting events over the weekend. Are you ready to go back to a live sporting event here in BC? Let me know. Simi at cknw.com or call our buzz line 604-331-2899. Right now, let's talk about the game itself. Colin Miller joining us, Vancouver Whitecaps analyst. Good morning, Colin. Good morning, Simi. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Are you all recovered from that yesterday? Yes, um, believe it or not, I was working uh, yesterday afternoon, so I, I actually missed the game. So I had to come home and, and watch it. And thankfully, my wife taped it for the extra hour. Uh, so I got to see all of it. But uh, what a game. It just summed up the tournament, to be honest with you, Simi. I thought it was a, a wonderful tournament with some great football being played. Uh, but the game itself, yeah, it kept everybody on, this, on their toes, that's for sure. Yeah, so what did you think of that? A lot of people go, oh, it's so tough to win something like that in a shootout. But that's a very soccer thing, isn't it? It is. And you know what, Simi, it's a, it's a horrible way to win and an even more horrible way to lose. Uh, you know, you've you've played there for 120 minutes. Both sets of players have given absolutely everything. I thought that was really uh, apparent yesterday in, in, the, in the final where both teams were actually trying to win the game. I mean, some some cup finals you see it in the very cagey affairs. They're, you know, they, you don't want to make that mistake. But I thought both teams deserved a great deal of tra- uh, credit for trying to win the game. I thought Italy were the better side uh, by far. Um, and when it gets to penalties, it actually becomes a lottery at that stage because, uh, you know, you're, you're on a hiding to nothing if you're the one who uh, who misses it. Uh, and, and really for young Bakuro Saka, uh, 19 years of age, the young lad uh, is the one that misses the final penalty to keep England to get into the, the sudden death, if you like, penalties. Uh, it was a real, I uh, felt really bad for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as bad as a, a Scotsman can feel for, for an Englishman. <laughs> All right, well put on that one there. Uh, but you mentioned that Italy, you felt, was very deserving. Why? What did they do differently? Well, I actually think this is the, the best Italian side that I've seen for years, Simi. And uh, traditionally, Italian sides have been, you know, very well-organized, very defensive-minded, you know, and not the most creative in the world, but I thought right from the outset, this Italian side set the tone. And and believe it or not, I did say in the first round, I thought Italy would be very hard to beat and would be one of the favorites. And I was proven correct that, you know, they they have players that, uh, you know, they have an old war horse in, in Chiellini, who is going to be 37 in one in one month's time, Simi. He, for me, was a defender of the tournament. Chiesa was another, uh, and, and Saini and, and Immobile, they were all 
very, very entertaining players to watch. And, and Italy, I thought, were full value in the end. The 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 big, as you as you mentioned earlier, the huge uh, English support that was there at, at Wembley Stadium. You know, that's a very intimidating atmosphere. I was at Euro '96, believe it or not, when when uh, England beat Scotland uh, with a famous goal from Paul Gascoigne. And I know that atmosphere is is fantastic, although mm-hmm. happened in the new Wembley. But, uh, you know, Italy rose to the occasion. Just their seniority, their players, uh, I just thought they had a real presence yesterday. All right, well, only a year to go till the World Cup then, Colin. Listen, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, my pleasure, Simi. Thanks very much. That is Colin Miller, Vancouver Whitecaps analyst, talking about yesterday's actual game, not everything else that went on around it, which I know also is a big story today. Uh, More to come on all of that. But listen, we wanted you to weigh in with your thoughts here. Are you ready to go to a live sporting event with a whole lot of people crammed into a space? They're like an arena or a busy place, whatever the case may be, like they were doing over the weekend in all these places. You ready for that here in BC? Simi at cknw.com or call our buzz line 604-331-2899. So there are now 306 wildfires burning around the province. That's an increase of 35 just over the weekend. And there are concerns that more lightning and continuing dry conditions is just going to make things even worse. You've got evacuation orders in Okanagan Falls. You've got alerts for the Sun Peaks area. There's a lot going on out there. Meanwhile, residents of the community of Lytton had their first chance in the last few days to get a first-hand look at their community since it was devastated by that deadly fire because police have been keeping a very tight you know cordon around Lytton since that happened back on June the 30th so residents had to get on board a charter bus it had been arranged by the Thompson Nicola Regional District to talk more about this we're joined now by Scott Hildebrand he was leading some of those tours on Friday he's the chief administrative officer at the Thompson Nicola Regional District Scott thank you for being here Thank you, Simi. Good morning. But it sounds like a really challenging job, Scott. How do you even prepare for doing something like this? You know, it's difficult for sure. Um, you just, uh, we got a job to do and we just need to find a way to find a way to do it. So it's been uh, both emotional and a humbling experience, but uh, it was uh, gratifying and uh, we were very happy to be able to provide that service to those uh, First Nation and village folks. So what was the tour like then? What did people see? Um, we we actually had th- we ran three tours after we had all the buses there. We had buses from Chilliwack, from Merritt, from Kamloops, and from Lillooette. And basically, we ran three tours of two buses each uh, that would go through Main Street, uh, through the First Nation, back up to the highway, and then turn around and come back. So we did that three times, and then uh, you know some residents chose to participate in all three tours, and some none at all. But uh, I think the the biggest the biggest thing that uh, was evident is that people got to reconnect with their neighbors and their family and their friends. And it was a really moving experience. So like a much needed sense of community. Absolutely. That would be a good way to describe it. So what is left of the town? What did people see? Um, There wasn't much left to see other than just a few, you know, out of the 250 or 300 residents that lived there, there was only a few houses standing, uh, one church, the post office, um, and the rest was unfortunately burned to the ground. Right. And did that cover all of the residential areas? Like, so most of the homes you're saying were burned? Yeah, right in the core of, uh, of Lytton is where all the businesses were, uh, a lot of homes. Um, yeah, the RCMP barracks, the uh, medical center, um, the ambulance facility. So a lot of the core functions and core services that were provided for that community. 
So, Scott, what happens now? You know, that'll be up to um, Lytton First Nation, of course, the village of Lytton as well. Um, they've got a recovery manager that's um, looking forward and trying to understand what's next. But currently we are in there. Uh, the TNRD has been working closely with the province. There needs to be a massive cleanup. We need to have make sure it's clear and safe. Um, and then we can certainly assess what the next steps might be. And that's, that'll be taken over, of course, by the, the village of Lytton, um, the uh, Lytton First Nation in the province. Can you do any of that, though, any of that work, given that the, uh, the conditions remain dry and very hot? Yeah, it's supposed to be you know near 40 degrees again this week. Um, so a lot of that safety work is happening as of this morning, and we continue to, to work with all those agencies to do what we can to kind of get things back to somewhat normal. So when it comes to the idea of rebuilding then, Scott, are, is, how does the regional district plan for something like that? Where do you start? Really, we hand the reins over to the village and to the Lytton First Nation. That community is very much interconnected. And there's been a lot of uh, industry, a lot of commercial businesses, and, um, and just general uh, businesses that are providing both money and resources. And there's, so it's about coordinating all that and figuring out how, they, uh, how, they, how their vision looks for the future and how they want to move forward as a community. So are there any rules, though, that the regional district will consider putting into place? Any kind of fire mitigation measures that you think need to be looked at this time around? It's not something that the regional district would implement, but it's something that I know is being talked about, um, creating a, a fire smart, um, a green energy efficient um, village is some of the, the comments I've heard. Um, so to be determined yet, but certainly a lot of great ideas. Right. So for the most part, the residents that you spoke to, does everybody just want to get back in there and start rebuilding? I would say it's a mixed bag. Um, there's a lot of people who are very grateful for being able to go on the tour. Very, It was very well received. Uh, there's people that live around the, the, the village of Lytton that are eager to get back where their properties are still functional and they're able to get back and see their properties and assess their properties. Uh, but for the folks that live in Lytton, it'll be a much longer haul. So is that it for the tours then? Now you have to wait for the cleanup to begin? Yeah, we of course wanted to make a priority for for residents we also had a, a media tour that went through there that was uh, that happened after everybody was actually all the evacuees had left uh, because it would, was important to tell that story and be able to share it with those that couldn't uh, attend the tour okay so is i get i take it there's still a wildfire alert happening still lots of concerns in the thompson nicola regional district yeah unfortunately uh, every day seems to be a new challenge uh, like you mentioned in the intro sun peaks and, and white crop is certainly an issue sparks lake continues to be an issue so that's dry it's hot and um, unfortunately um, there's poor decisions being made out there so hopefully people are smarter with some of the human caused concerns yeah have, is that what's going on do you think some of these fires are human caused i think it absolutely that's usually a large majority of it but of course lightning of course uh, is part of that as well so that must be so frustrating though when you deal with them because these, these, they're still not under control, are they? No, not at all. There's very few that are under control. So it's something that we, you know, the, the, the BC Wildfire Service and all the agencies work hard to, of course, protect life, protect the, the, the firefighters on the front line and structures as well. But sometimes resources become an issue. So we're all doing our best to do the best job we can. All right, Scott, listen, thank you so much for your time this morning.
Yeah, thank you, Timmy. Have a great day. You too. That's Scott Hildebrandt, who is the Chief Administrative Officer at the Thompson-Nicola Regional District. So he was actually on board the buses that went through the community of Lytton on Friday, several different bus tours, as you heard there, to show residents and people from there essentially the state of the town. A lot of it, the vast majority of it has burned, but uh, I think he said there are a couple of buildings. The church is still standing. The post office is still standing. But now the the question becomes like, what happens now? They've gotten a good look at it. There has to be a cleanup. You've still got wildfire concerns. You've still got incredibly hot temperatures going on through there. There's still much to be concerned about. First came COVID-19 and now wildfires. You know, For the tourism industry, it seems like a step forward and then two steps back. For just as the province was reopening, people were thinking about going somewhere in B.C., well, wildfires have now hit. Just this weekend, wildfire threatening Sun Peaks Resort. They're asking people, unless they live there or work there, to stay away. So once again, the industry is concerned that this is going to hit tourism operators hard. For more on this, we're joined by Vivek Sharma, chair of the Tourism Industry Association of BC. Good morning, Vivek. Morning, Simi. Thank you for having me. Now, can you give me an idea, before we really got into the wildfires here, did you, did you get the impression that tourism was rebounding a little bit? Were people making those reservations? They were, and the industry was cautiously optimistic um, with um, the restrictions having been lifted of having uh, a stellar summer. Um, however, uh, you know, like you said, the, the wildfires are proving to be a challenge, not just to our industry, but, you know, to communities across, uh, especially the interior of British Columbia. So what were some of the areas that people were and perhaps are still thinking about going to visit? Early indicators uh, said similar to what we saw last year, you know, some of our resort communities, uh, you know, on the island, uh, the interior, the Okanagan, some of the resort communities, the Kootenays. Uh, but it's still very early days. Uh, you know, the pace of bookings really picked up uh, when uh, our phase three of opening was announced. So, uh, but uh, unfortunately, coinciding with that was uh, our, our forest fires. So, um we are kind of uh, still in a bit of a flux uh, as to what, what the summer is going to look like. Have you heard from uh, tourism operators then in some of these wildfire areas? Are they worried? They are worried. Uh, and, uh, you know, what, what we are trying to make sure as an industry on behalf of our members is to say that there are still areas within BC which are safe, which are not impacted by the forest fires. We are, we are uh, you know, huge province uh, and uh, there, there are still places where uh, people can come and explore uh, you know safely so um, but it's, it's, it's a worry because uh, we are still very early in the summer and it's traditionally earlier this year the forest fires and we normally uh, see and how critical of a time was this, Vivek? Because some of the the like the factors of, of financial factors, the the help that been companies have been receiving was starting to be phased out, right? It was, and uh, as much as you know, we keep saying that two months of the year don't really make a full year, but these two months uh, of summer were uh, something that the industry had been looking forward to since fall of last year. Um, so the. Uh, you know, those operators, which we have a large number of them who were barely hanging in there, were uh, hoping to get to the stage and, uh, you know, um, provide the service and the amenities so that they could, you know, survive fiscally, uh, are extremely concerned at this time. 
Vivek, do you think this is going to change the industry then? Will we see fewer tourism operators, do you think, when, you know, in the next couple of months? And, or do you think we just have to wait and see what's going to happen? We are a resilient industry and um, we have, uh, you know, been able to get this far through the pandemic and, uh, you know, through the support of uh, our, our government, both provincially and federally. So uh, we continue to be cautiously optimistic. It is going to be an extremely challenging summer, uh, not just because the forest fires, they just, you know, added uh, another uh, dimension to it, but also through the various challenges that the industry has gone through over the last 15, 18 months. Um, labor continues to be a huge challenge for us. And um, so uh, it's, it's going to be a difficult uh, few months. So that, yeah, let's talk about that for a minute too. So that even if you want to go somewhere, even if you make a booking, and I'm sure the hotel operator or resort would love to have you, they may not have the employees. Correct. We are hearing more and more uh, from um, a lot of our memberships uh, and operators across the province of uh, whether they are limiting the number of rooms they are being able to sell or the amenities they are providing or they are not being able to open food and beverage outlets or they're being able to open only with, uh, you know, uh, either limited seating or reduced hours. So uh, and all I mean, you know, we, we open our businesses with the ability, with the hope that we will be able to maximize um, whatever potential we can have to generate revenue. But um, with the extreme labor shortage that we are facing, it's, it's getting more and more difficult. And uh, it's, it's not just uh, the labor shortage is not limited to just certain pockets of the province. It's, it's, it's all across. Is that going to mean, do you think, a rescaling right now of expectations where, okay, the hotel isn't going to be 100% full or even 80% full? It's how many people that you can get on staff. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, a lot of our operators are already in that boat, uh, where based on the 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 staffing levels they have, uh, they are they are deciding what kind of service they can provide, and everybody's been careful that the few people that we have, we need to make sure that uh, we don't burn them out um, and uh, um, and then further damage uh, you know the resources they have uh, at their hand. So how many jobs do you think are available right now in the industry? Is it right across the board? Is it mainly hotels? No, it's all across. I, I don't have the exact numbers on the top of my head, but uh, you know, every sector of our industry that you look at right now, uh, whether it is hotels, whether it's restaurants, whether it is activity providers, they're all in, in the same boat of uh, reduced staffing. And you know, through the pandemic, we have um, heard many stories about uh, the, the migration of hospitality workers to other industries, um, and and you know. We, now we're seeing the effects of it, that uh, there are not um, enough people to service our industry right now. Certainly seems that way. Vivek, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much for having me. Have a great week. You too. That's Vivek Sharma, chair of the Tourism Industry Association of BC. Boy, you talk about that uphill battle for tourism operators. So the pandemic hits, they try to stay open, they're doing the best they can, they're waiting for things to reopen. We get to stage three, which was July 1st, when they're now telling us, yes, plan a vacation in BC, go somewhere, support local businesses. And people think, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then wildfires strike and also this huge labor shortage. Just try Googling the words hotel jobs BC and you will see thousands of of jobs available right across the board. I mean, you're looking, I, I'm just, I'm looking at so many just in the Metro Vancouver area right now. 
And it's everything. And the average wage is about $20 an hour. And it seems like everybody and everything is needed right now.